Welcome to the Shiva Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, today I'm having a conversation with Chamira Nyabeze. Chamira holds a bachelor's degree in mining engineering and an MBA. He is vice president of the business development for the Center for Excellence in Mining Innovation and also is the network director for Mining Innovation Commercialization Accelerator. He is based in Canada and leads the Center's Commercialization Support Services Division by helping clients bridge the gap between new mining technology and commercialization. Chami, welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. I look forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Sheila. I'm equally excited. Fantastic. So let's see if you can help us. What is the relationship in your mind between technology, the secular economy, and the environment? Yeah, thank you for that question. Technology is an enabler. Um, technology provides us the right tools, better tools, uh, more optimized tools that can allow us to achieve the ends that we want when we're talking about things like making sure that we have recycling, reuse, repurposing of any of the things that mining touches, whether it be, it be rock or chemicals that we use in the mining process. So the technology and circular economy component uh, is attached in that we are able to actually operationalize the techniques that we need to put in place to be able to achieve that secular economy component of the mining industry. And on the environment side, you know, with the complexity of the mining industry and the complexity of the environmental situations we need to uh, adhere to, technology allows us to have that repeatability, uh, that consistency of approach when addressing the environment. Also, technology allows us to have even early warning signs is there anything happening in the environment that we need to be aware of? And last on the environment part, technology is now enabling us to even do forecasting, just like the weather report on what conditions could be like that can be affected by the mining industry's um, operations and performance. Yeah, that's extraordinary. So, of course, Chami, we have always had technology, uh, which is why we speak of the fourth industrial revolution, because uh, technology has been evolving over time. Is there something about today's technology that uh, is particularly important or different and enables us uh, to be able to mitigate adverse effects of mining and other extractive projects on the environment? Yes, for sure. Um, I would say just like the example I gave with the weather report, it is now easier to rely on the weather report that it will rain or not rain. Uh, whereas in the past, you know, the prediction models were not as good. So in the mining industry, what's happening is there's a convergence of information types that are all coming together into sort of a single point where we're able to harness the power of that information through leveraging things like artificial intelligence and machine learning to be able to get those insights that we need to be able to uh, properly, to be better understand you know, what, what environmental impacts could be and how to mitigate them. So the technology itself has evolved and is evolving in a way that's enabling things to happen that could have never happened before. Sheila, one of the things I like to, to say is that technology today is like a rising tide. 
and it is definitely lifting up our ships. Um, when you look at the communications platforms that we have, the ability to get super high-speed network, even in remote areas, is allowing us to have a better insight on what's happening on the ground level. Uh, just recently at IMAC in Australia, there's a conversation about around space resources and mining and how through space resources, we're able to better get images of what's happening on the surface, better able to predict environmental performance by looking at what's happening on the Earth from, from space, even better able to predict the movement of things like air uh, and contaminants in the air, and also accelerating things like even discovering new mine, new mines through leveraging those space resources. So I think technology, it's it's the critical mass of technology. It's it's now here and it, it will cause change to happen. Uh, whether organizations like it or not, uh, the tide is just going to be able to lift everybody up. Hmm. So, of course, uh, you have emphasized the role of technology as an enabler. Uh, but but there is, isn't there, a relationship between technology, our consumer patterns, both at industrial and consumer level, and impact on the environment. Can you talk a little about how technology is enabling us to consume more? Because just as information moves fast, goods are distributed quickly, goods are distributed, you know, produced fast. Yes. How, how is that working in terms of becoming a challenge on protecting the environment? Yeah, thank you for that question. Sheila, I think one of the drivers for consumption is just population growth. And, you know, I remember the first time my father brought a television home, it was very heavy, very, very heavy. And it took three or four of us to lift it because it was a very big screen. Um, but now, you know, just this week, I mounted a 60-inch a, a TV on the wall by myself. And you can just imagine that it's a better TV, it's better quality, better performance, but weighs a fraction of what it would have weighed in the in, in the past. So there, there is a balance though, you know, where technology is allowing us to actually consume less. But our challenge is that we have more people demanding the technologies. More people want microwaves, more people want fridges, more people want televisions and cars and all these other things that you know that are so common in, in most uh households, our households uh that are you know at a certain level of, of income. But what I think the the, the 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 benefit of technology is that it's going to allow us to produce more in the future using less less. The challenge that we are having now is that to produce technology using less materials, we need to use those those minerals and elements called the critical minerals. So there is a bit of a challenge there uh, for sure. Uh, and I also think that you know with technology, we are going to have to find ways to not have everyone have the same of the same components for example not everybody has to have a car for example i think some of those things will allow us to actually have the better technology but without having to consume more materials another thing that's happening in the field of engineering and advanced materials is that we are finding alternative alternative materials uh, that we can use to build stuff a good example will be using basalt so basalt is obviously a rock but basalt through some treatment and high temperature and plasma technologies can actually be used as an industrial material for manufacturing things like bricks, for manufacturing circuit board material, for even making um, uh, 
material that can be used for construction, for buildings, like replacing steel roads that are used in, in, in concrete. So there, there are some alternative materials that are coming online. And also with 3D printing, we are actually able to produce materials that look big, but are actually full of little holes because we're using um you know different weaving technologies to build to build to build uh, equipment and, and and infrastructure so i think the balance with innovative technology is that technology needs to drive us to a place where we actually use less but we get better performance and when it comes to population growth i think that's something that we're going to have to be very careful of in terms of not wanting everyone to have everything in their own household but leveraging that community uh, to get some of those things shared yeah, that's interesting because what you are saying is that through technology, we are able to find alternative materials that either uh, are used in less quantities or are more available and less likely to be depleted. And that technology is now having us rethink, is this the best material? to help us uh, mitigate environmental damage. And, and so uh, it's not just about continuing consuming and mm -hmm. using the same things. It's also being clever. So, so such that consumption drops, not necessarily because we are buying less, but because the inputs into the products that we consume are themselves much less. I, is that part of how you see things? Oh, for sure, for sure. And I think we can even expand that further by saying that, look, typically when a, when a, a mining company touches rock, you know, the amount of material that actually is valuable is a very small percentage. But if we shift our mindset to say, well, why don't we look at it as a 100% resource and utilize everything in some form or fashion for, for, for value, right? So you can find us now being able to produce, like you said, producing things using alternative materials. I've seen it already even at conferences where even the plates that we're using are made from banana leaves, right? Even the, the forks and knives that we're using are made out of different wood products. Even in the hotels, you know, the card, the access card that we, we have, some of them are now being constructed out of a wood material with the chip just being a very small part of it and now not depending on plastic. So, you know, you can see that circularity is happening. I even saw a laptop the other day in a store that it's the casing of the laptop was made out of recycled plastic. So you can see that there is this alternative uses of technology, which really puts that scarcity, mental, scarcity mindset to rest, you know, where there's actually an abundance. We just have to rethink how we do business. Yeah, that, that's an important point. Mm, uh, the, the reference to the scarcity mindset. Can you talk a little more about that? It's not self-evident. What would it take for us to move away to from, if you wish, the abundance uh, mindset to a scarcity mindset? How yes. do you shift that paradigm? Because I think that the, the assumption that things will always be there is part of the problem. Exactly, exactly. I, I learned a lesson from um, an indigenous elder here just recently. But uh, I guess you've been in Canada, where you are. Yes, yes, in Canada, yes. Indigenous, uh, uh, First Nations Indigenous elder from Canada. And what I learned from them was that um, when they go hunting, right, and they harvest an animal, they have so much respect for the animal that they don't want to waste even a drop from that animal, even any iota of 
of meat or or whether it be the, the hide or the bone of, of the animal. They want to use everything, right? And so when you look at how we've been performing in our industries, we have always had this mentality of saying we only need a small part of it and the rest of it is garbage or it's waste or it becomes a tailing, if you want to say it nicely. Um, so with that, if we can shift away from thinking this way, we can now start to say, okay, well, what are those other alternative uses so that we don't end up feeling like we're in a crunch for any material? I'll give you a good example. There's a company I'm working with right now that is converting tailings into an organic fertilizer from actually coal, from coal, coal mines and coal ash from spent coal. So there are technologies out there that are actually allowing us to see that the glass is not half empty, right? The glass is actually half, half full. So again, going back to the indigenous elder and really sort of respecting the, 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 the earth as mother earth, we can start to see that the earth is not shortchanging us, right? What, what we have to do is change how we're viewing what we're extracting out of the abundance of the planet so that we can be able to fulfill our desires. At the same time, I think our desires have to be perturbed so that we're not over consuming in areas that we don't have to. But I think the scarcity mindset comes from the idea that there is, there is not enough of stuff. Right. But when you really look at the amount of elements that are available out there, and if we can harness those elements in the right quantities using technology, we can be able to create better infrastructure, better products where you've got the same product being maybe constructed with different materials, depending on where it is being produced so that we don't run into the idea of saying we just need more of that stuff that's coming from that one place. Mm. I, I, I want to go back to the a world in which you envision, for instance, mining companies using everything that they extract. Because, you know, what you are not saying is that when we mine, there's a lot of uh, waste. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's all burden. Sometimes it is, in effect, just the host rock itself and separating it uh, from the mineral content and using only a very small portion of the, the earth that we move because we are economically, we define the project economics looking at only that uh, mineral that we have explored and not everything else uh, that, for instance, hosted it mm. and, and, and covered it, etc. So I wanted us to talk a little about that. How far are we, do you think, in terms of changing that mindset where the economics of mining are no longer just about the host mineral, but sorry, about the, the, the mineral, but also the host rock uh, and making sure from day one, we say we are going to extract gold, but with the uh, host rock and the, the tailings and everything else, this is what we're going to do. And that, that is fundamentally part of what we call the bankable feasibility study. How far are we from doing that? I think we have all the tools available to us, but unfortunately, you know what, not everybody even has the right tools in their own garage, right, that they can actually use to do the work necessary. So what needs to happen in the industry is that, number one, we need to go back to the very beginning where we are talking about designing our minds. We are designing, we, we are engineering our way to create tailings. Like we are literally engineer minds that will operate to produce the thing that we call waste, right? So, so the mind design itself has to change. 
um, the the way in which we invest in in thought, studying a new mind, we need to change our mindset and understand that just because we don't want the gold element in it, there is actually an aggregate that can come out of that spent rock. There's actually maybe a sand that can be produced. There's maybe a, a, another silicate or another component that is in there that can be utilized. Even when it comes to how we are doing our mineral processing, you know, we can actually recover some of the reagents that we are using, using nanotechnology, which is available. So again, I'm seeing that the technologies are actually here. The question that we have to ask ourselves, is: are we actually willing to change our mindset when it comes to what we're calling a mind? What is a mind? Even the definition of all, Sheila, you know, all is an economic term, actually. And it changes, you know, literally overnight, you know, based on commodity price shifts uh, or based on even mining method uh, or, or based on technology that's coming in to be able to extract the resource. But I think if we expand our definition of all to, to cover the entire the entire resource that we're touching, and then we force ourselves to ask the hard question, what is the alternative use of this? What is the usage of this thing that I don't need? Who needs it? Uh, unfortunately, what we've done is when we create industries around our minds, we don't create those other industries that can take into account the input materials that we are storing in these large tailings facilities. Some of them are mountains, mountains and mountains of them. We don't take into account creating those supply chain components around it. So, you know, I always tell people that mining builds communities. And I think that statement can even be expanded further if we start to harness the potential that is currently locked in these mountains and mountains of tailings that we call waste that can be used for something else. Um, you know, look, just to give an example of for agriculture, you know, I see mangoes and avocados just being left to rot on the ground. When you go to the store, you're buying avocado cooking oil. You know, when you go to the store, you're buying, you're buying coconut, coconut water to drink, uh, but it's actually being wasted in different communities. So I think it's a community issue here, you know, where we need to really think about the secularity beyond just the fact of saying, let's recycle what is already out there. You know, how about we actually put secularity all the way from the mind design so that we're not producing anything that we call waste. Uh, someone once told me that calling it waste is admitting our limited creativity on what's possible. Yeah, but you know, there, there are two elements to it uh, because this is very important because uh, traditionally, because economically we have determined that we are a gold mining company, we are looking for gold and nothing else. That's the first mistake. Yes. Uh, that mindset. What we ought to be saying is we are a mining company. We are looking for certain substances and we know gold is associated with these. And this is, if we find gold, we'll find this. And that our project design uh, economically to start with, but also our mind design will be targeting not one product, but all of them that we find. I think that that is the mindset that needs to change. But I also think mm -hmm. it's also the very regulatory environment that must demand that when you submit a proposal uh, and you say it's a, it's a bankable feasibility study, it is because it answers all these questions that it should be a precondition to licensing that to your mm. point, you have an answer for these others. And because I think, you know, uh, unless the regulatory environment moves in that direction, there is no incentive 
for mining companies to change what has been working for for centuries, is there? Exactly. And I think it needs to come back to that place where, you know, how a mine actually gets approved to move forward is, is respecting those regulations. But I will say that the community, the voice of the community is now stronger than it has ever been before. You know, there was a time when the community would be just displaced when a new operation started and they would really have a little say. But now the voice of the community is so much louder and so much more powerful that I think part of it also is educating the people on what is possible. So that when someone comes to say they want to mine a resource in your area, you ask them the hard question. What are you going to do about the, all those other components that you're already pre-processing to move them forward? But you are right on the regulation piece and on the investor side. We need to educate investors so that they are aware, they are woke to understand that there is more to be left here. You know, I was talking to my um, colleague the other day about just sustainability, and we're talking about the value of a mine. Like, what is the true value of a mine? And I think most mines are totally undervalued because they have refused to build into their thinking the idea that there's a lot more in that mine than what meets the eye or what meets their primary reason for having started the mine in the first place. So I think if we have that openness of thinking, we're going to realize that, again, going back to scarcity, right, we actually have a lot more resources at our fingertips than we can even imagine. Hmm. But but so th there's two elements. There is uh, the the pressure from stakeholders, including communities, and then the regulator. Uh, yes. But there's also the market end of it, of course. Uh, if uh, with talking of technology, isn't part of uh, proof of provenance, isn't part of traceability and blockchain, Shouldn't we factor in that technological space of blockchain, a, what can we say, an inventory of what every material is that is associated with the commodity we are buying and demanding that we know it was recovered and that it was put to use? Isn't that where technology might help us hold those who mine to account? Because at the moment, there's a disconnect. They bring gold. We don't ask yes. the questions about what they left behind. That is so true. You know, there are some technologies, Sheila, that are coming up now for traceability, you know, that all provenance issue. But these technologies, they're being developed by very, very small companies with not a very loud voice. So what you find happening is that these technologies don't necessarily get the attention that they need. But I think what's going on with, with communication technologies and the availability, availability of platforms that are allowing us to speak our minds a bit more, we will find the interest picking up, you know, at the at least at the big operator level where they can start to ask these hard questions. But look, just like when you buy a bottle of water, right? It says right on the water what's in the water, where it came from, and you know what are the different elements that are in it. Just like when you buy food that is packaged, there's all these signs that are on it and stickers and you know and different standards that that it meets. So when we look, think about minerals and metals, we really need to start thinking that way, where we ask those questions. You know, where someone needs to be able to say, this diamond ring I'm wearing or this gold ring that I'm wearing, I'm okay with wearing it because it came from a good source. Today, people are wearing blood diamonds. If you, if, you can, if I can say that. People today are wearing gold that has come from a very bad source. And at the same time, we're all guilty of using telephones today that have things like cobalt in them that came from not so good places. So I think, you know, as we become awake as a species, right, we, and part of the sustainability conversation is 
we need to actually pay attention to how the things that we have are coming to us. Absolutely. And, and I think the secularity of things is part of it. But it's not the end of it, isn't it? Because the reason we, we describe it as secular is because uh, it comes right back to where it started. And it has a, a, a sustainable component, which is to say it builds in the ability to protect the environment such that one, to the extent that it can uh, be able to replenish, it does. Mm -hmm. To the extent that it can be able to restore to some use, productive use, especially land, it does. To the extent that it can be reclaimed uh, as land and, and water that was otherwise contaminated, it, it is uh, reclaimed. But isn't the user end just as important? Because here we're talking about the source. Tell me about how we ensure secularity uh, through the materials that come to our house uh, and come to our house as metals fabricated yes. into all sorts of things. What is the responsibility that the consumer has? Because here and now we've talked about the mining companies. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, but my thinking in this area is that at some point in time, we are going to have brought to surface a critical mass, a critical volume of certain minerals and metals that as the end of life comes on a technology, because our technology is an end of life for sure, we can then start to do a bit more recycling. So I think the recycling piece is definitely going to, to be more significant as we move into the future, as we get those critical masses of and volumes of minerals and metals uh, are, are on, on surface. Well, what that then demands is that the, the ability to channel um, end of life uh, te technology, infrastructure, equipment, products to those recycling facilities, that has to be more localized just so that the economies work work better for that. So I foresee a, a, a growth of mineral and metal recycling plants uh, around the world, uh, simply because the volume is gonna be there. Then we will have a less of a dependency on, on fresh extraction, on greenfield extraction of, 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 of those, those raw materials. Um, look, the other thing that's happening too is, and I know it's a little bit early right now, but with what's happening with space mining and uh, lunar mining, we are actually opening up new frontiers. Uh, the technologies needed to make it a reality, at least in everyone's mind, is growing, is growing. And the critical mass of technology is going to be there eventually. Uh, but that, again, tells you that there may be other space places where we can get some of those uh, input materials. But again, just to maybe just to summarize my answer here is that, you know, the end users themselves, you know, need to be more responsible in, in how they are consuming but at the same time, they need to be even more responsible when it comes to how they're channeling those spent minerals and metals back into the recycling, which needs to be available within their local environments. Yeah. Uh, uh, before, uh, as, a, as a final wait, I want to be sure that we, we are on the same page. Because am I correct in, in saying that, you know, to achieve this secularity, uh, several component uh, parts are necessary. One, efficient extraction and use of materials and, and, and literally not leaving anyone behind in material terms. Second, mm -hmm. uh, 
the increased awareness that translates into community voice and regulatory frameworks, but also uh, increased awareness that translates into more responsible consumption and waste management, which is to say the circular economy is not about one end of society. It's about all of us. Is, is my reading correct here? Your reading is completely cor correct. And again, you know, is that holistic thinking that we need to have. We need to really connect the different components that make up our ecosystems. The ecosystems that provide us minerals and metals, the ecosystems that actually consume those minerals and metals, and the ecosystems that we can put in place to recycle those minerals and metals. So I think it's a really, it's a more of a holistic view of, 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 of life. And I think technology is enabling us to be more holistic in our thinking. Fantastic. Well, uh, Chami, it was lovely uh, having you on the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. And thank you, Sheila, for having me. Looking forward to us having other talks in the future.